0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos, or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, so I uh, posted another interview this week. I don't know that I'm going to have uh, another one next week, but uh, two weeks ago, did the one with Bree. This week, did one with Dylan. Uh, I thought those podcasts went really well. They were very long. Uh, You know, two, three-hour interviews, pretty detailed. We went into a lot of stuff, and it was a lot of fun to have those conversations. So I do plan on having a lot more of those. Uh, I just don't have any more set up quite yet, so I got to work on that. Um, Also I wanted to just kind of throw a real reminder out there, if you see me wearing it this year on my channel, it means it's available for you guys. So you can get it at myspreadshirt.com slash uh, Chris Shelton, I think. Uh, the link is below in the description section of this video. And in one of these two corners, uh, there is a little uh, circle with an eye, and you can click on that and link to the Spreadshirt store. All right, so let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Sherry Sporn, watching the Aftermath show and all the various podcasts, there is a cry for the government to step in and do something. Other than revoking the religious tax exemption, would a raid on gold, for example, be helpful in your opinion? I remember Tom Devox saying that one reason the FBI didn't do it before is because he felt that all the Sea Org members, including those in the hole, would just say they were there voluntarily and would not choose to leave. Do you believe that this is still the case? Hey Sherry, thanks for the question. I actually have some other ideas about what would probably happen if the FBI today were to go raid the gold base in San Jacinto, California, um, they would find, uh, what, a couple hundred SeaWorld members up there. Certainly not, I mean, not a great number of people. They'd find a smaller number of people than they would have found, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, and I don't think that it would roll exactly the same way as it rolled in 1977, 78, when there was the raid at the, at the PAC base. Uh, that the FBI did, you know, into the Guardian's office files, and they were rolling out file cabinets, and you can look that stuff up, and it's, oh man, it was so great when they did that. Um, everybody, of course, on the base at that time, and at the PAC base, uh, was freaked out. Nobody was going forward and talking to the FBI or saying, oh my god, I'm so glad you guys are here, because I have all these things to tell you. But here's how it could happen differently now At least a couple ideas I have about that. One, this isn't 1977. We are now in 2019. Uh, Scientologists know, uh, Sea Org members, even the ones at the gold base, uh, are not a bunch of happy 1977 versions of Scientologists. Scientology was very, very different back then, and the Sea Org was even different back then in quite a few ways. I mean, this was before David Miscavige had taken over, before so many more abuses and changes in the ethics structure and the and the, the punitive measures that have been taken on people for uh, sexual conduct or you know anything critical of David Miscavige personally. I mean, it's 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 pretty. It's a pretty paranoid 1984 kind of environment, and that puts people's, you know, nerves on edge, and they are been they've been on edge for so many years that they are raw. So that wasn't the case back then, and it is the case now, right? And there's been a lot of things that have happened that have been exposed that even some of these Scientologists and Sea Org members Uh, might have heard something about, even if it was only the rumor line from people who have blown from the gold base, and there are still people there who knew those people, saw it happen, you know, and there's only so much, you know, cognitive dissonance you're going to be able to pile on. My point being that if there was a raid, see right now, pre-raid, Everybody at the gold base is kind of getting along on the skin of theirs, you know, chinny-chin-chin chin, and just kind of scraping by. They, they don't like their existence, as, as uh, everybody who has escaped from the gold base has said. It is a hellhole. And, of course, there is literally this thing called the hole, which, it, you know, as we've gone back and forth on whether that thing still exists, but it looks like it does. And I was way too optimistic in thinking that David Miscavige had canceled it. So, so you have this horror show happening there. And so if they were to come in now, it would be a very different picture. Now, from 1977, however, there would need to be counselors, therapists, literally right there with the FBI agents. And I don't know if that's, if that's even legal or if that could even be arranged, but it would need to be arranged because you would need experts to go in there with the FBI. They can't just run in there with guns drawn, you know, throw everybody on the ground or against the walls and take everything. They they should do that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want the gold base rated. I want all these files taken. I want LRH archives rated up at the Twin Peaks where Shelley Miscavige is. I mean, the, the things you would find would be amazing. It'd be so interesting. Uh, David Miscavige's files and, and records and computers. I mean, my God, if you could find that stuff, you'd find some real hard evidence. I am positive of uh, you know the abusive behavior and that sort of thing because you'd see this sort of thing in the in the, the knowledge reports, in the PC folders, and in, in, in all of this stuff. And um, you know how they would go about getting into those PC folders. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, but I don't even know actually necessary if they'd have to because if they got access to the OSA files, <laughs> okay, now we're really talking about some criminal activity, right, you could dig around in the PC folders, but actually now that I think about it, it would be harder to find stuff there, but if you get into the ethics files and the OSA files, Oh, baby, that's where the treasure troves are. You might not even need any of the Scientologists there to cooperate or say much of anything in order to find prosecutable crimes. But if you went in there with some counselors or some cult experts, some people who actually knew what they were talking about, knew what Scientology was, knew how it worked, and could take these people one by one and actually sit them down and talk to them the right way, the way Scientologists need to be talked to, um, you know, you could get some mileage with some of these people. I'm positive that you could. Uh, But you'd have to break them down. You have to start deconstructing their cult trappings and and the machinery and all of the, the things that exist that keep the cult mentality in place and hold the cognitive dissonance in place. You'd have to start breaking that down. I guess what I'm saying is that if you could kind of, you know, it's, it's not a full intervention, but something like that, similar to that, maybe the fr- something on the fringes of that, if you kind of get what I'm saying, right? Like somebody who could just talk to them, not necessarily somebody who is threatening them or telling them, you know, how much trouble they're in, although a couple hints of that, you know, with FBI agents hanging around with guns, I mean, you're gonna have some pretty freaked out Sea Org members never seen anything like this, didn't expect anything like this to happen, and if you went in there and started telling them that you know about this, and you know about this, and you know about this, and you you don't have to get into, I would not go in there saying, Mike Rinder said this, or Mark Headley said this, because that's just going to put up their cult defenses. But if you say, look, one of the reasons we came in here is because we've heard that there have been Human rights abuses. Now let's talk about this instead, because the person's you know the Scientologist is immediately going to say, "Oh no, nothing like that." And you go, "Well, let's talk about it for a minute. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about the hole? What about the pond where people have been you know sh- shoveling shit for hours and days and weeks at a time? What about the? F- how often are you eating? How much sleep are you getting? Like really, you know, if you could really break all this down and have." Real conversations with these people. I, not just if you just went in there on a on a superficial, you know, ran through the base, did the whole thing in a couple hours, and then left. Yeah, no one's going to talk. But if you really took some time and dug in and uh, and really pressed them, you could break through a lot of that cult indoctrination. And um, and not with everybody. I'm not saying that everybody's going to cave. Not at all but you'll start it. And the more people who, I mean, this is just psychology 101 and sociology 101. The more people you convert over, you get de, deprogrammed, basically, is kind of what I'm talking about. Although I, I'm not saying do deprogramming on them, because that's 1980s abusive nonsense. But, you know, the, 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 the way we do it now, the way you actually have an intervention now, it looks like a conversation. It's not forceful. It's not, it's not over, overruling somebody's will. That's not how you get people out of cults, right? Anyway, I think you guys get the idea. And I think that if that was done, we would see um, a productive raid. We would see all the paperwork and, and all that coming out. But we would, um, we would also see some very, very... Um, I think, if again, if it was done right, I think we would see a, a, a real exodus out um, if these people were made aware of what the real situation was. And it would be even more amazing, with some of them at least, if some of their family members could get involved too. Uh, But that would take a total, I mean, that's not really the FBI style, so I doubt that they would do something like that. But who knows? This is my recommendation for how I think that should go. And there you go. Leo Perez, what is Scientology's explanation of why do people have to pay to find out all the great knowledge? Couldn't someone get together with an auditor that would like to donate their services and go up the bridge the same? Yes, Leo, it's called co-auditing or cooperative auditing and Scientologists do it from time to time. You would think Scientologists would be very, very interested in doing a lot of co-auditing where they would just work with another Scientologist. They both get trained on the training side They get the uh, TRs courses, the study courses, the TRs courses, the metering course, and then they do auditor training. And if anybody has watched my... Bridge to Total Freedom videos, you know how the bridge is broken down and there's training and processing and you do those auditor levels and then you learn how to audit and then you can audit anybody, including somebody else who's also doing the levels with you, who you can audit back and forth. One day you have a session, the next day, the other, you know, switch it around and it goes back and forth. Um... This is actually accounted for within the world of Scientology, but oddly, very few people actually take advantage of co-auditing. It's cheaper by thousands and thousands of dollars. It only really works up to the level of clear. It's very difficult to get trained uh, as a public person, not not as a staff member, as a Sea Org member, but as a public person to get trained on the auditor levels that are going to tre- teach you how to audit the OT levels. Um, audit people who are doing the OT levels, right? Okay, so <laughs> I don't want to get into a full crazy explanation here, but basically the OT levels are mostly solo audited. So uh, you do it on yourself, OT 1, 2, and 3 are solo. OT 4 and OT 5 are audited. Some, an auditor audits the person. So you could theoretically do up through the class 8 course is what it's called and that will give you the ability to audit uh, basically up to you know reviews on up to OT3 repair sessions I should say Um, but no public is ever going to be able to train on the class 9 auditor course which is what teaches you how to audit OT4 and OT5 by that point you gotta pay you're gonna have to pay the C-Org to audit you uh, in fact, from the OT levels on up, you're, you're paying the Sea Org, right? Uh, so there's no co-auditing available at that level for public. But you can get up to clear doing that. And, uh, and it will save you thousands and thousands of dollars doing it. And it is just as useless to do that (laughs) as it is to pay the thousands of dollars to get auditing by a professional because, of course, all of this is just bunk and nonsense. So why would you want to do any of it anyway? I always have to throw those little disclaimers out every now and again because I get to talking about this stuff and I don't want people thinking I'm endorsing it uh, because I'm not. So anyway, but that co-auditing thing, that was Hubbard's brainchild or somebody's brainchild that he took credit for probably. Uh, as to how to get up the bridge fairly cheaply, but um, and Hubbard actually said, to his credit, that getting trained as a Scientologist and doing that kind of co auditing really would be the most beneficial way to get up the bridge. But he said that knowing that most people uh, were not going to want to go that route. Most people who get into Scientology, um, yeah, I would say most people who get into Scientology uh, just want to get the auditing on them. They don't want to go do all these classes. They don't want to get auditor trained. They don't want to have to do all that work. You know, they don't want to have to help somebody else. <laughs> right? And if you think about it, you know, there's a it makes a lot of sense given the narcissistic nature of Scientology. So um, anyway, that's what I can say about that. Law of Improbability. How did Scientology management respond to the Scientology public about Debbie Cook's letter and its references to Hubbard? Debbie Cook put out an email in New Year's of uh, the 2011 to 2012, that January 1st, out came Debbie Cook's uh, amazing email, quite an extensive, long uh, essay with tons of L. Ron Hubbard quotes and, and, uh, and, and pieces, you know, pulled to uh, justify her positions, what she was saying, and Debbie Cook would describe how she was a Scientologist, she still believed in L. Ron Hubbard, this is back when this happened in 2011, she's no longer a Scientologist, and I, I don't know if she still believes in Hubbard or not, but I do know that in the email she said she did. And she was, uh, and this email was sent out to 5,000 Scientologists, and it laid out how David Miscavige was ruining the church and ripping everybody off, how there was all this money in the banks and in, in the uh, the church reserve accounts that wasn't being used for planetary dissemination. It was just stacking up there. And that this entire ideal org strategy was, was for the birds and wasn't something Hubbard ever said. And, and she said a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, um, most of you guys have probably heard about it. Um, The church's response to this was, was terse. It was short. It was to the point. It was, she's a declared suppressive person. You are not to listen to her or anything about that. Everything she had to say was complete bunk and very much treated Debbie Cook like they treat Leah and Mike Rinder and critics of the church, right? They, they, uh, they build, you know, hate websites and that sort of thing. Well, in within the church, they don't do websites, although, actually, no, I should back up. Those hate websites are used by the church internally to refer Scientologists to. But at that time that Debbie Cook's email come out, came out, they did not do a hate website on Debbie Cook. They've done one since, but at the time they did not do that. Instead, they had internal memoranda put together with a, what was called a dead agent pack or a pack of, of um, information, you know, usually it's newspaper clippings or media or other evidentiary uh, writings that will show that the person who is Um, being countered is a liar and a thief and a scumbag and out ethics and not to be believed. And within the world of Scientology, if somebody is known to be committing suppressive acts or overt acts, what are bad deeds, sins, all of these are synonymous. Uh, If somebody in the world of Scientology is viewed to be doing that, then clearly they are not trustworthy, they are not honest, they can't be believed, And that's why Scientology works so hard to just try to discredit any way they can. Leah, Debbie, Mike, etc. If they can discredit them and show that they're liars, you know, the Scientologist brain does the rest, right? And goes, oh, well, they're liars, so I can't believe anything they say and therefore everything they've said about Scientology and, and their own experience in Scientology and their own, you know, the connections they had and even when they quote L. Ron Hubbard they're, they're doing it in some sick and twisted way and I just don't even have to listen to any of it. It's very all or nothing black and white thinking. Surprise! That's what happens in cults and that's what they're trying to get that response from the Scientologists. They're trying to say, okay, she lied here and she lied here. Do I need to say anything else? And the Scientologist is like, oh no, I'm good. That's all I needed to hear. It's really pretty much almost that easy most of the time. Um, they really have a deep confirmation bias towards you know, pro-Scientology. So when Debbie Cook's thing came out, it didn't really take a lot to, um, for loyal Scientologists to feel like they'd been debunked on it. But, of course, as we know, tons of Scientologists never went into an org after they read that thing, or they were already on the fence and they got it, and they went, "Oh man, this is a church is Scientology; they're just a bunch of crazy people and they um you know and it and it affected a lot a lot a lot of Scientologists so um so it did get some people out it you know it reinforced some people staying in after the church handled them. And, uh, and for a lot of people, it put them on the fence. And, uh, and I think Leah's show and the Going Clear documentary and other work that has been done since then has pushed them off the fence and all the way out of the church. And, and you know, and we hear about those people all the time. So that's pretty much how that was handled. Carl Friedrich. If David Miscavige were to go to prison for any reason, do you think he has a strong enough understanding of brainwashing to have some of the other inmates work as security detail for him and some to clean his cell and maybe others to get chow for him? (laughs) No, no, not, no, not at all. Um, First off, let's be clear. David Miscavige would very likely end up in prison for white collar crime versus uh you know fraud and you know financial entanglements and, and corporate stuff um i mean he might get busted for assault and battery or uh some kind of violent criminal activity but but probably the it's going to be more the white collar stuff um and uh so He's not going to end up in a federal penitentiary or, you know, county where, you know, or not, sorry, not county, but state jail, uh, where, you know, bad things happen to people. Um, I've read a lot about prison. It's just something I've been kind of fascinated by. Uh, I, I don't know why, it just kind of is. And so there's a site called Quora where people throw up answers and questions all the time. I put a lot of answers up there. Um, but I get, you know, when I see questions come through about prison, I'm always like, oh, let me take a look at that. So I've always been kind of interested in what really happens, not what's on TV. Screw TV, screw the movies. They they very rarely are what you see uh, in the entertainment media at all an accurate reflection of what really goes on. So if David Miscavige ended up in jail, which we all want, um, it's probably going to be white collar, Bernie Madoff type prison, right? And that's kind of club fed versus, you know, the hardcore, you know, chain gang (laughs) type of activity. That ain't where David Miscavige is going. Um, So things are pretty chill in a white-collar crime, you know, prison anyway. There's not a lot lot of weird, you know, people aren't beating up on each other, and there's not a lot of weird stuff going on. So, um, and David, but, but to get to the root of your question, now that I've said all of that, um... David Miscavige is so afraid of going to prison and what would happen to him there from his own ideas about it that I don't think he would ever go to prison. I think that if push came to shove and David Miscavige was actually incarcerated and facing actual jail time, and his lawyers couldn't get him out of it, couldn't get him bailed or couldn't get him out of that situation, which they probably would, but if they couldn't, I think he'd probably kill himself. Um, And I think that if he could get bail or could get out of that situation in any way, I think he'd run. I do not think that he would for one second uh, even contemplate spending any real time in jail. I think he would do anything and everything to avoid it. Um, and that's where I think his head's at on that. So uh, he is not a criminal mastermind who understands the psychology of people and really gets how the brain works. He's He really is clueless about that stuff, okay? I don't think he has read uh, of anything other than Scientology. I don't think he's read, you know, any real psychology or sociology books or really gotten into a deep understanding of how to influence other people. I think he has just learned very, very uh, bad habits and ideas from L. Ron Hubbard, from his time working under Hubbard, and his own kind of megalomania, narcissistic nature, that he just gets away with so much and people keep letting him get away with stuff, so he keeps pushing it to the point now where you cannot defy him in any way. And he set up his whole little world. But the world is not, the, the world he set up, he, remember that it's not set up around his writings and his work. It's L. Ron Hubbard's work and L. Ron Hubbard's writings that David Miscavige is getting a free ride on. If it was up to him, he wouldn't know how to write that stuff. He wouldn't know how to tell people how to live their lives better and get along with each other better and have ARC and break down communication formulas and ARC triangles and emotional tone scales and all this other rigmarole. He wouldn't, he doesn't, he's not the kind of guy who figures that stuff out. And he's not good at it. He's good at the marketing and promotion and keeping people going side. And he's good at terrorizing people and absolutely you know getting them in a state of mind where they would you know rather uh i don't know where they just where they're very compliant let's just put it that way um so that's what he's good at those are that's where his skill set lies and I don't think those skills transfer to prison so well because he's a little tiny man and that and when he shows up in prison. <laughs> you know uh if he did show up in a prison where there were violent offenders and he was in the same room as them uh, he'd be dead you know uh he he's he might you know be fairly strong uh for his size and he might even have some uh training but he's a tiny little guy you know he's got nothing on anybody and uh and yeah body weight and size matter you know in an actual fight those those things actually matter so uh, so he would not be in a very good way in that situation at all. Rob Kupiets, how do Scientologists handle work and a declared SP? What happens when a Scientologist has a job where they need to talk to or work closely with someone that has been declared an SP? For example, let's say a Scientologist is a new car salesperson, and the new car sales manager, their boss, and someone they need to work with to sell cars, is a declared SP. Or if the two people are put on the same project, etc., can they still work together or interact without getting in trouble with the church? No, there is no situation where a public Scientologist, a staff member, a Sea Org member is ever going to be okay to work with a declared SP, except if they're a celebrity. Okay, and even then, even then, I only know of one case where anything like that happened, and that was um, Nicole Kidman, uh, who may or may not actually be a declared suppressive person. See, we really don't know that Nicole Kidman is declared suppressive, She can be persona non grata. The church can call her a suppressive person. Tom Cruise might believe in his heart of hearts that she is a suppressive person, but if she's not declared suppressive, then there's no violation of the church rules there when um, Elizabeth Moss worked with her on a show that they did together, okay? Um, I can't remember the show, I don't remember exactly what happened, but they did interact and people were kind of like, ooh. But really that's just kind of proof positive of how celebrities get a pass on things that public Scientologists or any other Scientologist doesn't get a pass on. There is no situation where the scenario you asked me about where the used car salesman is going to work for a suppressive person manager, Uh uh-uh, no way. The church would tell that guy, quit your job immediately and go get another job. You are not going to be connected to a suppressive person. And here's the thing. Scientologists don't want to be connected to suppressive people. They believe that suppressive people are antisocial personalities, criminals, murderers, you know, whatever, however you want to describe it. I mean, I don't think all suppressive people are murderers, but they do think that they are low, scumbag, riffraff, not worthy of being talked to or dealt with or uh, in any way communicated with. Um, It would actually, according to the Scientology beliefs, a Scientologist believes that if he's connected to a suppressive person, that will, that connection alone Will impede or wholly stop their spiritual progress up the bridge to total freedom in Scientology. That's what L. Ron Hubbard says. So he doesn't just arbitrarily say, well, you just have to disconnect it with him because I said so. He lays out this whole song and dance about how these suppressive people are suppressing you. That's why they're called suppressives, right? They're suppressing, they're holding you down, they're holding you back, they're keeping you from moving up and out and, and gaining all that freedom that Scientology is supposedly offering you. So, uh, so you get a lot of cooperation on the part of Scientologists for the most part in disconnecting from suppressive people because they are all about their own progress up the bridge and they don't want anything getting in the way and so usually they can't disconnect fast enough. If it's family or close friends or something like that, there might be some emotional turmoil. They might have some issues with it, but they generally get themselves over it because they've got this, you know, be-all, end-all of uh, view of Scientology. Um, okay, so celebrities, like I said, that one example I can think of, if anybody's got any other examples of this, you can let me know, but for example, there was... Um, a guy, Michael Fairman, I think his name was celebrity, he was on a soap opera uh, with Michelle Stafford, and um, she, I think she was the one who quit that soap opera rather than work with him because he was declared by the church. One of, I don't know, somehow they got, there was, a, there was some friction there, um, and I believe one of them quit the soap opera arranged or, or somehow one of them got fired off of it. Uh, if I'm wrong about that, go ahead and let me know. But that's what, I, that's what I'm kind of recalling about that Michelle Stafford thing. Um, so even, you know, even the celebrities don't want to be connected to a suppressive person. Even if they could skim by the rules or get by with it, they try to arrange their life so that they don't have to. And I hope all that answers your question uh, and makes sense. It's time for Flash Answers. Pay as you pray religion. Have you ever come across anything more creepy than the video section on davidmiscavige.org? Well, I didn't particularly like the video section on my hate website, but yes, I do totally understand what you're talking about. Um, Scientology videos are just total creep fests, uh, especially those ones about David Miscavige. God, they are just such sycophants. Ugh, it's just disgusting. Ugh, ugh. MD. Do you think as a big cash grab and PR stunt, SMP would ever make a theatrical feature to be released to the public? Maybe a soft reboot of Battlefield Earth? No, Scientology Media Productions is specifically dedicated to Scientology dissemination. Uh, So I don't think they're ever going to be getting into doing feature length films or fiction works um, based on the or works based on the fiction works of L. Ron Hubbard. I don't, I don't think they're, they're really set up for that. I don't think they're really even trying or wanting to do anything like that. Uh, that's, Scientology Media Productions is about Scientology. Same thing with Gold, uh, Golden Era Productions, right? It's all about Scientology. People, it, it would be, It now get. don't get me wrong, it would be extremely easy for David Miscavige to just say, well, I just want this and you guys are going to do it. And then, you know, okay, I'm wrong. But, um, but given the structure and organization and how everything is laid out within Scientology, that's not what they're supposed to be doing and I don't think that would happen. Trip D, have you ever had someone contact you who left because of your channel or who wants out, but fears disconnection, losing everything, and facing life without a job history, skills, education, friends, or money? Yep, I have, and I've done my level best to help them every single time I could as best I could. And um, I don't talk about those cases or anything because it's, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, But yes, I have uh, had that happen to me. Okay, everybody. So that is our show for this week. Thanks for coming around and listening to me ramble on and on here about all this. I really appreciate your questions. Please do keep them coming in the comment section of my YouTube videos, my critical Q and A videos. Uh, uh, You know, just keep them coming because you guys are doing great with this, and I've got this really big queue of questions to work on. Which I'm actually got a little project I'm going to be doing over the next month that you guys will hear about. Uh, a month from now, <laughs> that might whittle down this queue a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, okay, guys, it's been good talking to you, and thank you for coming around. And I'll see you next week. Bye bye.